Did you know that if your website is running too slowly, it can cause higher bounce rates, lower search engine rankings, lower page view numbers, and lower conversion rates? To put it simply, a slow website means lower profits. In fact, if your site is delayed by more than one second, it could literally be costing you thousands of dollars a year. But don't worry, I have an answer for you. WPX Hosting. WPX Hosting has some of the fastest website hosting on the planet with lightning quick servers, 24-7 support that is available in less than 37 seconds when you need them, blazing fast load speeds, and even a free high-speed content delivery network or a CDN. But that is not the best part. Even if you are on another web host, WPX Hosting will work with you for free to migrate your site in less than one day. Along with automatic backups, malware scanning and removal, email, staging areas, and 99.95% uptime guarantees, WPX is the exclusive web host for the Blogger Evolution podcast. Our friends over at WPX Hosting want you to join the family as well. For a limited time, you can enjoy a 50% discount on the first month of hosting, meaning you can make your website faster for less than $13. Visit bloggerevolution.com hosting for your 50% coupon. That's bloggerevolution.com hosting. Remember, a fast Faster website means higher profits. Um, so that's the number one problem with the free templates, right? Like yeah. they're not legally sufficient. They're always missing like key legal provisions, exposing you and your business at risk. So then that defeats the purpose of getting the free template to begin with if it's never going to protect you. Regular people are taking their passions and interests writing about it in a blog and making a living from it. But not everyone is successful. There is a right way to build a blog and a wrong way. And I am here to help you succeed with your online business. My name is Chris Miles, and this is the Blogger Evolution Podcast. Oh, and welcome to the Blogger Evolution Podcast. My name is Chris Miles, wherever you are, wherever you may be. Thanks for making us part of your day. Okay, so we have a good one. And I, I can't underemphasize or overemphasize how good this interview is. We had the opportunity to talk to Amira Irfan from aselfguru.com. She is a legal specialist when it comes to uh, businesses, especially small businesses, but most importantly, blogging. She tells us everything that we need to know when it comes to making sure that we are legally protected with the information that we're putting out there on our content sites. Now, uh, she's not just a lawyer, by the way. She's a blogger as well. A self-guru is a huge, huge blog. And I believe last time we checked, she was making around $78,000 a month just from her blog. Outstanding, I know. And she was able to grace us with her presence and give us some insights and information about how we can protect ourselves when it comes to running our businesses, but more specifically, our blogs. Now, we talk about everything. Literally, we go through the entire gamut of stuff. We talk about some horror stories of people who uh, were not legally protected when it came to their online businesses. We talk about disclosures, disclaimers, where they need to be, you know, on our blog posts. We talk about GDPR. We talk about ADA compliance. We talk about negotiating for sponsorships. This was something that I was totally new to when it came to uh, whether or not we should just take the contract that the sponsor give us, or if we actually have some, you know, some say in the matter as to what we want in that contract. You know, we talk about that entire thing. And 
it's just a great interview. I, I hope you could tell just from how excited I am, you know, with what we were able to talk about, about everything, you know, so it's a great interview. She has some free legal guides that you can download to help you avoid some of the common mistakes bloggers have when it comes to the legal side of things that you can go check out over at aselfguru.com. That's aselfguru.com. Be sure to go there to get those free templates. And if you do decide to make a purchase, if you get any of the bundles, this is important. If you get any of the bundles that she has available over at aselfguru.com, you can get a 20% discount just because you're a listener of the podcast, you know, so 20% discount, use promo code evolution. That's promo code evolution when checking out. And you can usually combine that with another discount or offer that you might be having on the site. And you can get a really, really sweet deal on some of these bundles to help keep yourself legally protected. So be sure to go check that out. Promo code evolution. So we're not going to waste any more time. Let's go ahead and jump into this interview. It is really, really jam-packed, information-packed. We're going to get some good stuff. Be sure to get your popcorn ready, pop in your headphones, whatever you have to do. Let's go ahead and get started. Hello, and welcome back to the Blogger Evolution Podcast. We have Amira Irfan from aselfguru.com. Now, she is a legal genius, I guess you can say, you know, because she has a huge, huge brand just helping small businesses with the legal side of their businesses. Too often, that is an afterthought. So we have her on right now. Um, Amira, thanks for being on. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, let's just, you know, quick background, I guess we can say of uh, how you got into this, what what made you jump into the legal side of things and uh, how has it been going so far? Yeah, so that's a loaded question. <laughs> there's a lot. Of, there's a lot to cover there. So I was actually studying to become a doctor when, unfortunately, during college, my dad's business got sued, and that was a massive lawsuit that we didn't see coming uh, for ninety thousand dollars. And so I kind of had to put everything on hold to help my dad out financially, legally, in all aspect you can think of. So just kind of going through that nightmare of fighting a lawsuit for an entire year, just I guess that some part of me felt in love with the law, but also I wanted to help other entrepreneurs because I just couldn't help but wonder that how many business owners out there are just clueless about the legal aspects of their business and they make mistakes. You know, some of them are intentional, some of them are not. So that's how you could say that that incident was the turning point of my life because that's what motivated me to become a lawyer and kind of specialize in business law. And that's kind of how I started uh, with the legal world. And then working full-time as a lawyer for like 10 years, I felt like I still um, had a lot of student loans and debt to pay off, which anybody who has a professional degree can relate to. So I had a massive student loan debt of like $150,000 that I was paying every month. And it just felt like I was paying a big mortgage. Yeah. So... I wanted to be creative and also kind of start a side hustle that would supplement my income and allow me to pay off the debt, but also kind of make an impact. So while working with, you know, business owners one-on-one -on -one as a lawyer, I thought, hey, why don't I just take all this business legal expertise in the online space and see if I can reach more people. And then I could also kind of automate this stuff instead of just me trading my time for money. And how could I do that? So then I stumbled upon a YouTube video of, uh, you know, six, seven figure bloggers at the time. Yeah. And they really inspired me. And it's like they opened up like this uh, new way of making money, right, that I had never thought about, because I never knew what blogging was that you could that I just thought it was something like a hobby that people pursue. And, 
And I just never thought you could make money from it. So that's how I started, got started, Chris. I took their course to begin my journey and the rest is history. I um, fortunately, you know, it's been a really rewarding uh, ride or journey for me because I, in my first year, I made six figures from my blog, then second wow. year, seven figures from my blog. And then I finally quit my job as a lawyer to kind of do this full time. That's awesome. Wow. And well, congratulations on the success that you have had with this so far. Man, that's, oh yeah, that's a, definitely a lot to unpack there. So, um, <laughs> okay. I, 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 one thing that I've noticed, you know, is that a lot of bloggers happen to be former professionals, you know, um, you know, you have your, your story here where someone was maybe a stock clerk or maybe this or that and the other, but I've run across a lot of bloggers who were lawyers in the past or who were, Actually, I can think of three just off the top of my head, right? And then other ones who might have had some other type of very professional, prestigious type jobs, yet they have the same issues and problems that everyone else has when it comes to debt and, you know, not making enough money to be able to pay off some of that debt and everything. Why do you think that's the case that professionals seem to be jumping into blogging so much? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think that my story is a little bit different. One, one reason that I know from speaking to fellow lawyers or fellow professionals, not just lawyers, is that they're not happy with their career. They're yeah. working that nine to five grind and they want, they want their life to have a bigger meaning, right? Than just that job. So that definitely has a lot to do with like the unhappiness associated with a nine to five job. But in my case, that wasn't really the case. I was happy with my job. And to be honest, if I didn't have the debt, I probably wouldn't have even thought about starting a side hustle like blogging. But in my case, definitely the motivation was that I wanted to have a bigger meaning and my, you know, like, and also to pay off my debt and just kind of, I just always wondered that, Hey, I'm doing all this, but how can I do it better? Mm -hmm. Right. So my approach to life is that whatever I'm doing, whether in business or personal life, like how can I improve myself or how can I refine this or how can I do this better? So for me, it felt like, okay, working one-on-one -on -one with clients is great. I love it. But perhaps I can translate all of that into a product, a digital product that could really help thousands of people. Now it's not just, you know, one person a day or two people a day, but now we're talking like hundreds of people a day, right? Yeah. So when those ideas started coming to mind, then it just felt like, hey, I, I would be doing a disservice if I didn't act upon them, right? So for me, that was the motivation. But like I said, for other people, it could be so many different factors, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. But, but I know the number one is like being unhappy with their jobs and then being then wanting that, that desire to be their own boss. That definitely is a driving factor. Yeah, no, for sure. And when you say that, uh, that you actually liked your job, you know, that's actually quite rare, right? Yes. <laughs> with people liking their job. Yet, even with that, you still saw the need to be more directly helpful to more people. And you saw, you know, the online space and you saw that there was a gap there, I would assume. And then you just decided to, you know what, let's just give it a try. Is that kind of how it ended up packing up for you? Absolutely. Yeah. There was this opportunity, this gap in the online space where a lot of bloggers at the time that I was, because I started as a blogger. So of course, bloggers could relate to me, but my, my business is not just geared to bloggers. I help all entrepreneurs, but back then, you know, definitely that's how it started because in the blogging world, there was this uh, shortage or this gap of uh, legal education, right? Okay. People want to start their blog. They started, but then they have no clue how yeah. to legally protect it. And that's where I came in, right? No, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And 
Okay, since well, since you do bring it up, let me since we this is a podcast about blogging, right? So a big part of the audience is uh, niche bloggers and trying to build passive income with their blogs. So let's just go ahead and ask like the age old question, right? Do you <laughs> need to have an affiliate disclosure on each page of a site? There's so many different people who say you do, and then some people are like, I don't worry about it. What's really the ramifications? And if so, where do I put it? Is there any real problem if I don't have it on every single page? You know, what, what's what's the real legal aspect of that? So that's a great question. So when it comes to affiliate links and affiliate marketing, there these rules are governed by Federal Trade Commission, the agency that protects consumer privacy, and they're the one that oversee all of this. So under those rules, if you're going to be sharing an affiliate link in a blog post, doesn't matter where in the you know beginning and middle, then you absolutely legally need that affiliate disclosure. Disclosure meaning you're gonna have to advise the readers that, hey, I have some affiliate links and that I'm gonna earn a small commission and no extra cost to you. Right. And then you should also link to a full disclaimer policy page on your site where people can read more about your disclaimers and disclosure. People always confuse between disclosures and disclaimers. Mm -hmm. So I, that's why I'm speaking those two terms separately because affiliate disclosures is what you are required to give legally under the Federal Trade Commission. And then disclaimers are really what you give for your own protection, such as limiting your legal liability for the right. content that you're sharing. So yes, if you are, if you have a blog post where you have absolutely no affiliate links, then there's, then there's no need for this. But if you do have a blog post, then you can read all of this. It's public information. You can visit the Federal Trade Commission uh, guidelines website and you can see that all of this stuff, we didn't make this up. These, this is actually, these are actually the rules. Wow. Okay. All right. That, that makes plenty of sense. And uh, we got a lot of affiliate bloggers who listen to the podcast. So that makes perfect sense and good information. So, all right. So a question that we normally have as, as well is where to put the affiliate disclosure, right? I've heard of people saying that it needs to be at the beginning of a blog post. It needs to be at the end of the blog post. It needs to be on the sidebar. I've even heard people say it needs to be right next to every affiliate link on a page, right? So what's really the legal um, um, view of where an affiliate disclosure, oh, shoot, I forgot. There's a disclosure and a disclaimer, right? Right. <laughs> so which one of those needs to be on the page and where? Okay, so great question. So when you're writing the blog post, the best practice is to put it at the very top, um, because you're going to be sharing affiliate links throughout the blog post. So that's the easiest way to put your audience on notice, like the readers, they can see it at the very top. And the guidelines say that it needs to be close to the affiliate link, not like after. So for example, putting it just at the end of the blog post is definitely not a good idea because that would be misleading and someone may not even read until the may not even get to the end of the blog post to be able to see the disclosure. So that's why um, putting it at the beginning is the easiest way. And if you start putting it, uh, you definitely can put it right next to the link. That's okay. But just keep in mind that that would be very cumbersome because yeah. let's say I'm putting 15 affiliate links in a blog post. Imagine putting 15 times affiliate link, affiliate link, affiliate link. That would be too much. So that's why um, the standard practice is, and this is fine, is to just put it at the very beginning, not on the sidebar, uh, not in the footer, but not at the end of the blog post, just very top before you start writing the blog post. And the easiest way to do that is through a plugin or you can custom code it on your site like I have mm -hmm. where I don't have to write that disclosure myself. It automatically appears every time I write the blog post. 
Okay. Oh, wow. That's valuable, valuable information there. Because I've heard so many random things, and it's good to, to hear what the actual standard practice is. But, you know, just from listening to some of that, it makes me feel like it's still almost subjective to a term, which, I mean, nothing is ever really black and white, right? But, I mean, it's just... I, yeah, I, I don't like having to put it on every um, next to every page or next to every affiliate link because that's just like you said, it's cumbersome. It doesn't come across well when someone's trying to read and just really get the answer to their question. They're not, they don't want to see an, an affiliate, you know, hey, this is a link or whatever. Um, if I make money with it, um, what's good wording for that? Um, if you don't mind me asking. Yeah, sure. So this one is uh, legally sufficient is something like this blog post may contain affiliate links, which means that I will earn a small commission if you purchase through my link and no extra cost to you. Nice. Please see full disclaimer here and then you insert the link to your disclaimer page, which should appear in the footer section of your site. Gotcha. So you should include a link to your affiliate page, affiliate disclosure. I did. I said that right. The affiliate disclosure. So you should include the link to your disclaimer page. To disclaimer. So which your okay. disclaimer page should also have this full affiliate disclosure too. But it's um, but remember that the disclaimer page serves two purposes, right? Number one, it limits your legal liability for the content that you're publishing. Number two, it also gives people um, full disclosure as to what you're sharing as far as affiliate links, sponsorships, and things like that, so that they can read your full policy on that page. So you do need that as a legal page on your site, and you usually put that in the footer section so it appears on every page. And that's where people can click to read the full policy. Right. By putting this small, short disclo uh, disclosure in the blog post, we're just giving them like a mini disclosure. But then we're also giving them the opportunity to click to learn more kind of thing. Okay, good. All right, great. That's valuable stuff. Thank you so much for that. Um, are free legal templates bad? <laughs> so uh, this is a great question too. Free legal templates are not legally sufficient to protect your business because as a lawyer auditing them for like more than 10 years, I found a lot of loopholes in them. And mm -hmm. I actually have a blog post on my website where I share the audit results. So this way, you know, I'm not just making this up, but there's a blog post where 50 some customers of mine have actually come back and bought my templates versus using the free templates, even the ones that were using the free templates. And they've given like their reasons for why they did that and why they never felt safe with the free legal templates. And then I also share my audit results as kind of to demonstrate that why they're not legally enough. Um, so that's the number one problem with the free templates, right? Like yeah. they're not legally sufficient. They're always missing like key legal provisions, exposing you and your business at risk. So then that defeats the purpose of getting the free template to begin with if it's never going to protect you. And the second thing is that there's some copyright issues with that too, because you don't know who wrote it and you don't, you can't just copy anything you see on Google because that's copyright infringement. So you have no idea who put this free template together, whether, whether that content was stolen from somebody else or whether that was that person's point of view, whether it was ever reviewed by a lawyer or not. So there are a lot of those uh, kinds of legal risks that you're taking. And I look at it this way that it's your business at the end of the day. So why would I trust something so valuable that I put my heart, you know, sweat, blood, sweat and tears into to just have a free template protect me in court? You know, you should know better that that they're free for a reason. So, yeah. Well, see, OK, so I, I hear what you're saying. And the thing is, when a lot of bloggers are just getting started because blogging has such a 
low barrier to entry, right? I mean, you don't right. need much. You can get a domain for a couple of bucks. You can get hosting for almost next to nothing, you know, depending on the host that you choose. Usually a lot of people who jump into blogging don't have a ton of expendable income to hire a lawyer or something like that. So how important is it if someone were to start a site that's not even a blip on the radar and not have any legal protection, like official legal protection, I should say, in terms of the terms and conditions and affiliate disclosures and everything like that? I mean, how safe is it to just do that? So first thing is that when you start a blogging business, a privacy policy is legally required. So there's no way to kind of work around that. It's mm-hmm. something that's absolutely required. Now, when it comes to your terms and conditions and your disclaimers, those are things that you can think about when you want to post them. But there's a reason why um, all three should be there before you launch. And I totally get it that the cost associated with it, but that's why you don't have to hire a lawyer and pay thousands of dollars. Um, You can always purchase legal templates from somebody like me or any other lawyer and save a lot of time and money. And this way, at least you have that mental peace of mind knowing that these are templates written by a lawyer. So they're giving you the same lawyer level protection without the hefty cost, right? Mm -hmm. And they're like a few hundreds of dollars. So we're not talking like thousands of dollars here that you have to you know, give out. So, and it's a one-time cost. So I look at it this way that you're going to pay for email marketing. You're going to pay for hosting. You're going to pay for a lot of things. So this, this is a business expense. It's tax deductible. So there's really no reason to, um, you know, not do this to begin with. And as I mentioned that there are privacy policies legally required and there's serious fines and penalties if you don't have one. And there's been so many businesses that have gotten in trouble. If you just visit the federal trade commission site, you will see those cases, you know, so yeah. it's not worth the risk at the end of the day. Yeah. And you mentioned the fines and penalties and stuff. Do you have like, like the worst horror story for someone who may have started a business, didn't have anything legally? I know you mentioned a 90,000 with your, with your dad before, yeah. but since you've been a professional, you know, what's, what's maybe like the worst story you've, you've, you've seen from someone because they, they skipped getting legal protection. So there's so many different stories based on different, different aspects. Um, the For the privacy policy lawsuits, those are all on the Federal Trade Commission site. You can see from small businesses to big businesses like Google, Zoom, um, you know, uh, Facebook, um, I'm talking big ones like Netflix, you can see all of those lawsuits and even some smaller ones. And I've worked with clients as well in the past that have gotten in trouble for not protecting data. When I say privacy policy, I mean someone's personal information and data. So when I come to your site, for example, Chris, and I give you my name and information and my email address, and I try to get purchase a product or I get a freebie from you, I have now given you personal information and I have the legal right to know what are you going to do with it? How are you going to use it? So sometimes there have been some incidents where people weren't following the rules and they weren't maintaining data properly. So they've gotten in trouble for those. Then there have been incidents where people have gotten in trouble for giving advice and they've been sued for that advice. Like, for example, in the blogger niche, they've been got they've gotten in trouble for defamation. They have published some statements on their side that someone someone took offense to or someone took the wrong way and then they got into legal trouble and got sued for that. So that has happened a lot. Then recently I've been seeing a lot of bloggers um, getting in trouble for not having their websites ADA compliant. And we'll talk about that later, but ADA is Americans with Disabilities Act. So if your site is not compliant with that, they've been hit with a lot of lawsuits. So there's just 
all you know lawsuits are all different claims and different shapes and different sizes so um people get in trouble for all kinds of things and then i have some coaches also um we had a client where she it was not that much of a loss but it was a, it was still thousands of dollars that she lost because she didn't use a coaching agreement and she was offering some coaching in the online space and then she got threatened with a lawsuit and then um, they settled and they, but she had to pay a lot of money to settle that case. Mm -hmm. So there's so many different cases and scenarios out there, but um, the key is that, yeah, you just never know. Unfortunately, it's so easy to get sued. And I know this from firsthand because yeah. my dad's business, but also with my different clients and people that I worked with over the years, um, you always want to do things the right way from the beginning instead of paying thousands and thousands of dollars later on to hire a lawyer and, and you know, and be basically facing a big, uh, expensive lawsuit. Yeah, uh, we live in such a very uh, litigious society, yes. you would not agree. Um, okay, so yeah, let's go. We'll, we'll go back to the ADA in just a second. I want to ask this question. You mentioned earlier how if you don't have any affiliate links on a page that you don't need the disclaimer um, on there. Right. So... A lot of people now are strictly going straight informational content with a lot of their blogs. They're not even bothering because of updates that's happened in the past. They don't even want any type of affiliate stuff on the site. And if they do, it's like maybe a handful of pages versus the hundreds they might have that straight uh, informational content. So do you need an affiliate disclosure, even if there's only a handful of pages on your site that are that might have an affiliate link on it or if you don't have any at all? If you have any pages on your site where you are sharing affiliate links, then you definitely need that affiliate disclosure on those pages. Gotcha. So wherever you're going to share the affiliate link, you need to give the disclosure because those are the rules. It doesn't matter what whether it's five pages or whether it's four blog posts. It doesn't matter. As if you are, then you need to. Um, if you absolutely, if it's just an informational site, there's there are no affiliate links. Then obviously you don't need the affiliate disclosure mm -hmm. because then you're not you're not getting compensated in any way for sharing that information. So there's no required for uh, requirement for affiliate uh, disclosure in that instance. Gotcha. Gotcha. And that makes sense. But even then, if you have a handful of pages and you mention an affiliate link on a page, you still have to link to the actual page, either in your footer or something, which at that point it'll probably be on every page of your site anyway. So, Correct. all right, cool. Yeah. All, right. all right. I think I'm getting it. All right. This is cool. All right. <laughs> okay. So um, you mentioned a whole bunch of letters and acronyms earlier. And specifically, um, we talked about uh, when it comes to capturing an email address and what are you going to do with that information is... GDPR really a thing? <laughs> yeah. It, I, I yes. asked ask because a lot of there was a lot of you know uproar about it probably like two years ago, and when the EU, the European Union, just decided to okay, we're cutting everybody off, and even in news recently, Facebook is or Meta is uh, threatening that okay, if they don't lighten up on their laws, we're going to take Facebook out of Europe. So is this like is this a real thing? Because even though how big it became in the news, you know, on the blogging side of things, I haven't. I've heard of people saying, oh, yeah, we need to be worried about it. But how are they going to sue a million bloggers all at the same time? Is is that wrong for me to think that? Well, I, I mean, I think it depends on your risk tolerance. But to first answer your question, if it's a real thing, yes, it's one of the toughest privacy laws in the world. And it impacts you whether you're in the European Union or you're not. 
And so it, it, you know, it applies to you no matter where you reside. If you have people visiting your website from the European Union, then you have to ensure compliance with it. Gotcha. And whether you will get sued or not, um, that's really something I can't predict. But there have people who've gotten in trouble, companies, mm-hmm. and it just really, again, depends on how much risk you want to take. But they've made it very clear in their rules and guidelines that non-compliance with the GDPR could result in serious hefty fines. And we're talking millions of dollars here. Like they really make it very clear. So there's no uh, confusion as to, hey, what legal action could be taken against me? They make it very clear that this is what we can subject you to in terms of penalty. So that's why um, it's important to uh, make sure that your privacy policy and also your email marketing and all that kind of stuff is compliant with GDPR. Because once again, uh, we've also had some, um, you don't, you just don't want to take that risk. But another thing I want to point out is that after the GDPR in the US, we have had some states that are now kind of following the exact footsteps of GDPR. Right. And the prime example of that one is California. So California Consumer Privacy Act, also known as CCPA, is basically kind of even taking the GDPR to the next level and they're following the same exact rules that hey you need to maintain privacy you need to give uh but now they're also saying you need to give special rights to california residents so in other words that's the trend that we're seeing so if california is doing this perhaps new york is going to next come or some other one so it's just it's better to just kind of follow the rules instead of like uh worrying about hey what could happen to me right yeah so it's not something that we should turn a blind eye to is what you're saying No, we shouldn't. And California uh, Attorney General has been really serious about, and I know some bloggers that have actually gotten in trouble for this, and Mm. there's serious uh, penalties for non-compliance with CCPA too. So if if they're catching you for non-compliance with CCPA, it's just a matter of time that they'll catch you for non-compliance with GDPR too. So you, again, you always want to be under the radar, right? Like you don't want to no, take uh, those risks, gotcha. especially, I guess, as your business starts to grow, Yeah. Um, then it's just not worth it. No, no. Especially when you put so much work into it, because, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, you're working day and night, especially on your sites. And just for it to all kind of go up in a puff of smoke because of a legal thing that could have been prevented, right? Right. Gotcha. And as I mentioned, you know, just kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, Chris, that especially now, if legal help is affordable and, you know, if it's not going to cost you as much as hiring a lawyer, thousands of dollars, then there's really no excuse for not being compliant Mm -hmm. in my point of view, you know, but again, everybody's uh, opinion is different on this. No, (laughs) it is. And like you said, a lot of it, I guess, is the risk tolerance, right? That you have to really worry about. So we did talk about GDPR and um, you mentioned ADA. Would you mind discussing what that means and what needs to go on a niche blog to be in compliance with that? Okay, so ADA compliance is something like a big topic. Obviously, um, can't cover everything, but no, ADA stands yeah. for Americans with Disabilities Act. And the purpose of ADA is to prohibit discrimination against people with disabilities who visit your website. So for a long time, there was this confusion as to whether ADA applies to websites or not. But then we've been seeing recent cases where courts are saying that, yes, it does apply. But ADA itself is kind of silent on, and this is where the gray area comes in, is very silent on what guidelines that people need to follow to make sure that their site is accessible to people with disabilities. So that's why 
we rely on what's called web content accessibility guidelines, also known as WCH. And these are the guidelines that people internationally and across the world follow, and they kind of ensure your compliance with the ADA and also accessibility lawsuits around the world. And that's what you really need to look at to make sure that your site is in, in compliance. Obviously people know about the uh, small things such as the alt text needs to be for all images on your site, mm -hmm. adding captions and subtitles to your videos. Those are two big ones, but those are not the only ones. There's a whole checklist and there's a lot of things that, that uh, WCH uh, guidelines put together that I eventually put together in a bundle to kind of break it down and explain because it is a complicated topic. Even as a lawyer, we had to research a lot and I had to confer with other uh, lawyers in this area that were practicing and dealing with these lawsuits to kind of come up with this uh, guide, the ADA guide and the bundle that I put together. So I walk you through all of that in there. But in a nutshell, you um, want to make sure that you are fixing some things on the back end of your site, whether working with a developer or yourself. And then the second thing is you want to also use um, a plugin and to kind of also demonstrate your compliance. And then the third thing is you want to also have a website accessibility statement. So something in the footer section of your site, a page where you explain that, hey, we're doing everything to ensure compliance with ADA. Obviously, 100% compliance is very tough when the law itself is not that clear, yep. but you are at least demonstrating your efforts and you're putting that statement out there. And you're also giving people with disabilities an option to reach out if there's something on your site that um, that they don't understand, you need to put your contact information so that they can get in touch with you and that you can then fix that issue. So these are all of the different things that I cover in my ADA compliance bundle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, 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 that's it. So I was just saying that these are just some of these, th all of these things that I cover in my ADA compliance bundle to make sure your site is compliant. And it's over at aselfguru.com? Yes. So it's on my site at aselfguru.com under the legal store page. All right, cool. All right, wonderful. All right. Wow, that's that's a lot to think of. I don't know if I've ever seen an ADA disclosure on a site, or maybe I just didn't notice it. But I don't know. Is 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 that relatively new or? Um, yeah. So in the last few years, we've started seeing that more because of the lawsuits happening a lot, right? Yeah. So um, it's not really a disclosure, but it's more like a statement that it's sometimes it's called accessibility statement. Sometimes it's called website accessibility statement. But because we've been seeing a rise in lawsuits around the world uh, with, with, you know, ADA, non-ADA non-compliance, for mm -hmm. example, you know, in just 20, 2018, I remember we saw like 5,000 lawsuits filed, right? And then in so just the next year, we doubled that. We saw 11,000 lawsuits filed. So bottom line is that the cases are becoming more and more over the years. So that's why uh, people are now doing everything in their power to kind of show that, hey, they're making all these efforts for compliance so that their site is not targeted. Yeah. Oh, wow. That Yes, that's a lot to unpack there. A lot to have to think about. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. wow. Okay, cool. Well, look, let's shift gears just uh, a little bit here. I have a, a specific question. So a lot of people in um, our space, they hire writers, right? They The writers yeah. do the work for them. I know, you know, I've... I've actually, you know, contracted out entire websites, basically, where I might have set up the website, but all of the writing came from somebody else. Um, but very rarely do I really have like a stringent contract. And then I, and when I post the articles, I'm posting them as if they're mine. Right. So right. Um, 
is that is that a problem? Do I need a contract with everybody when we hire people to do content? Do I need some type of disclosure from them, whether they're a freelancer, a VA, a client, a brand, whatever? So it depends on where you're hiring them from. Uh, so are you hiring them from one of these third-party websites or is it one-on-one, like you found them in some group or something? Like, how are you hiring them? Uh, both, to be honest. Um, sometimes I'll go somewhere like Upwork and put out a, or um, ProBlogger, put out a, a, a resume okay. and then see where, you know, maybe hopefully, not a resume, but a job description, get some people in, maybe hire them individually. Um, what I have been using a lot recently has been, uh, writing agencies. And so basically I give the agency what I want. They go find the writers and then they return the content to me. Um, so that's, I guess I'm doing both, but I would probably go to more writing agency side. What, what would you uh-huh. say about that? Right. So the, the reason why I asked you about that is because the approach is different, right? So when you're going with the agency, then you're kind of bound by their contract. So okay. they have their contracts and they have subcontracts. So you need to kind of inquire to make sure that the content that you're receiving is number one, copyright free. Number two, you have ownership of the content. Right. So when I write something for your website, for example, I am the owner, not you, because I'm the one who created that content for you, unless I transfer the rights legally to you in some for, shape or form of a contract or some sort of a legalese is needed to, for me to give you the legal rights to use what I wrote for you, what I produced for you. And that goes for not just you know blog posts, but it goes for designs, it goes for graphics, anything that you pay somebody to basically create for your site in order to not run into any kind of intellectual property violations down the road, you need some kind of a transfer to cover your butt, right? Yeah. And when you have the agency in between, so that's kind of their headache. So that's why you need to confirm with them. Um, the issue becomes, I guess, more important if it's just you individually hiring. Like, let's say, I hire somebody from my Facebook group and now we have no third party in between. We got no Upwork, we got no Fiverr, we got no agency. It's just me and that person. Then um, then definitely what we, what you would need is what's called a virtual assistant or some sort of a freelance contract or independent contract agreement that basically outlines the entire uh, you know scope of work that that person is performing for you, whether it's writing, whether it's editing, whatever it is and then the compensation. And then you also need to have uh, the ownership of intellectual property provision built into the contract. So this way, somebody who's writing all this stuff, they're automatically giving you the ownership. They're giving you the legal right to use that content without owing them any money, without owing them anything. And I've done that personally because even in my uh, second year, I hired a bunch of freelance writers myself from my own Facebook group because they were familiar with my business. So I didn't have to train them, but every single one of them, I had this contract, right? So this way I covered myself and then whatever they wrote for me or whatever they did on my site, that's complete. I have complete legal rights to it. I don't have to worry about ever that person coming after me and saying, Hey, you know, uh, or, or even stealing my stuff or, or anything like that. So that's the, those are the two ways that you want to approach this. I hope that was clear. No, no, that actually was clear. And it makes plenty of sense because God, I would hate to uh, hire someone to write something for me. I post it on my site. Then let's just say the article blows up and I was making X amount of dollars per month. 
just for them to yes. come back and be like, hey, I wrote that. Give me a cut or yes. you owe me everything. That sounds like it would be terrible. <laughs> okay. Yes. And also, you know, like they can even steal it in the sense that they could duplicate and publish it on their site. So you need to be able to have some sort of an agreement to prevent that, right? To yeah. prevent that copyright violation. So uh, to make it clear that whatever they're writing for you is strictly for just your site. They don't have the permission to use that content anywhere else kind of thing. Yeah. And actually, now that you mentioned it, this is just a random question that just popped into my head. One issue that a lot of bloggers have to deal with is people copying their content and posting it on their site as their own. And to be honest, I mean, I don't know, this might be more of a Google question versus a legality side of things, but there's very little that can be done in terms of someone stealing your content if they happen to be in another country or something, right? Is there anything that I can do as a blogger if someone's blatantly copying my content and in some instances outranking me, right, with my same right. content? Um, have you seen that before? What What's something that I oh, can yeah. do as a blogger? Yeah, this is a, this is a big problem, unfortunately. And I mean, it happens a lot. It happened to somebody in my Facebook group too. So there are a couple of approaches here. Number one, uh, what I have is what's called a cease and desist letter. And it doesn't matter what country you're in. Uh, you can use that letter to send it to them because what happens is when you publish a blog post, if it's original content, you're the one who put it together, then you automatically get copyright protection. So you can use that cease and desist letter to email them or send it to them to try to get that content removed. If that doesn't work, then what you can do is you can contact the web hosting service, right? You would have mm, okay. to dig and do some research on Google to find out which one is their hosting service. And then what you can do is you can file what's called a DMCA. Have yeah. you heard about I'm pretty sure you heard about it. It's oh, yeah, yeah. Millennium Copyright Act complaint. Yes, it's a little bit of a headache to do all this, but you have to. And that that is very effective because you can submit that DMCA takedown notice to the search engine and you can ask them to remove the stolen content. And this law was actually implemented basically for this particular purpose, right? Mm -hmm. So that to protect your uh, original work. But, you know, so you want you you do have those options and you can uh, also kind of show once you do all this, you can show that, hey, you were the first, you know, copyright owner of this blog post. This is and you, you know, you have all of those things that you can attach and they would uh, they have the legal obligation to act on it once uh, the hosting company receives that. Mm -hmm. So they will take they will take the site down. And it has happened to bunch of bloggers that I know where they had to do this and then their the infringers website was taken down basically. Wow. Okay. So yeah, yeah. So it is effective. Yeah. Um so you can do that. But like I said, it just you just have to go through some steps right. and to find that. But but there are things that you can do. I would imagine that's the same for images, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Images and anything like images, gra you know, graphics, uh, content. Yeah. All of that stuff. Yeah. And you want to be very careful with these images too, because I know someone that, oh, she made a mistake and she grabbed one. And she was new. I don't blame her, but she grabbed an image and she ended up paying like $8,000 to Sheesh. this company that just wouldn't refuse to, uh, Let up. Take yeah, they couldn't, they, they, we tried to settle for her and, they just wouldn't refuse to take anything less than $10,000. And then we negotiated to like $8,000. But imagine that for one damn image paying yeah. that much to the company, you know, but they had the legal right for it. And so, uh, yeah, well, it's something to be very careful about. Yeah. So, okay, let's just dive into that just a little bit here. Um, I know we're getting close, but let's, I, you got so many <laughs> great questions here. So, um, you go online and you Google a question or, what, or not a question, but you Google looking for an image. If, if the image has Creative Commons on it, is it okay to use that or 
don't know. So what you have to do is first, you have to see where you're finding the image. Um, and then you have to, if it's a, you always have to, you can never assume that it's okay to use to begin with, gotcha. right? That assumption is wrong. Number two, it depends on where you find the image. And I don't know if it's a website that actually has images, then you can, then what you would need to do is you would have to read their license terms. Okay. So you would have to actually go into the footer section. That's where usually these terms are. They're sometimes called intellectual property terms. Sometimes they're called terms and conditions. Sometimes they're called licensing terms. There are all these different terms for referring to the same thing, basically. But that's somewhere you're going to have to do some research to find out that, hey, can I use the images that I'm seeing here uh, for free? Or what, what are the restrictions? Do I have to give credit when I use the image? Do I not? So every every creator is different, right? So if I have an image, I get to dictate the terms for it. Like I get to decide how I want you to use my image. Like for example, if it's a legal bundle image, I get to decide that do, do I want you to give me credit for it when you use my image or not? Or these are these, so that's why the rules are so difficult because every creator gets to decide how they want their images to be used. And you never wanna assume anything. You always wanna read the terms of where you're getting the image from the site to make sure that you're covered. Yeah. And then if it's a copyright free images site like on Unsplash, Pixels, Pixabay, then you know that you're good because that they make it very clear. And again, you okay, can great. even read their you can even read their terms too. And you can if you have any doubts or anything, you can always read their terms to get clarification. Gotcha. So like a morgue files, Pixabay, Pixels, those are very popular in the blogging yes. space. And uh you you would those are perfectly okay to use though. Right, exactly. Right. Because they make it very clear on their website how you can use the images that they're free, they're copyright free. But if anything else, like outside of that, then you need to really pay attention to the that person's website. Now, if I'm using something like a deposit files or a Shutterstock or anything like that, and I buy legitimately purchase the image and now have the license, I should probably store that image in case anything ever came up, right? Right, exactly. All right, cool. And you should also read their license terms too. That what are they? What are you buying? Like you know, because every license term is different. Like, are you buying the right to use them uh, forever, or are you buying the right to use them for a certain period of time? Again, there could be some restrictions uh, involved with that too. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Since blogging happens to be such a a fine line between it being like a personal blog versus actual information, and then you making money from it. If one of these places asks you, are you using it for commercial intent or personal? You'd have to say commercial intent for a blog, right? Well, no, because commercial intent is if you're trying to sell something, right? Uh, personal, if it's just a hobby blog, then it's just personal. Even with affiliate links that you're trying to make money with? No, then if you're using affiliate links, then no, then okay. you're making, then it's for profit, right? Gotcha. So okay. then it's no longer just a personal hobby blog. So then, yeah, then it's commercial in intent. Okay, cool. All right. Because that's, a, you know, sometimes when you buy images, when you buy music or videos or something, sometimes they'll say, they'll ask you, are you using this for personal or business? And it's a different price sometimes when that's, that's the case. But um, right. it's good to get the clarification here. Oh, that's so awesome. Good stuff, Amir. I do appreciate it. This has been an awesome interview. Um, okay, so I was going on your site. And one thing that us bloggers also do is we like to buy and sell sites. And I noticed that you have a bundle that includes a website sale agreement. Now, if you're not using a broker or anything like that, they probably have their own contracts and agreements and stuff. But this is probably something that you could use 
if uh, you're getting ready to sell a site like someone on Facebook or someone that you know who wants to yes. buy your site. Well, this is an interesting thing that popped up one time. Um, I see it happen quite often, actually. But when you acquire a new site, one of the first things you should do with it is obviously move all the affiliate links to your stuff. But sometimes you might miss one. So what happens if, you know, a money has been going to somebody else from your affiliate link, yet you're still uh, getting the money from it? yet after you've already sold the site do i need to put that money to a side what if i didn't notice it for a year what if they didn't notice it for a year is there anything that i need to do to be specific with that or i just need to be very diligent with making sure the affiliate links are gone well that's why that contract whether you use that website sale agreement or you work with an you know broker you need to clarify these things because that's something that needs to be in your buy sale buy sell agreement so this way there is no confusion. And that's a great question because that does happen. And if your agreement is silent on it, then it's all up in the air, right? Yeah. So then you have a dispute because one person could argue, well, that's my money because it was my affiliate link. And you could argue, well, the site is sold from this day to me. So now I'm entitled to that money. That's why that agreement needs to be very clear about who is going to be the owner of all, like every, basically any revenue after this particular date. And if that's you, then they're not entitled to it because they signed the agreement and you're now the, the new owner, despite the fact that there was an affiliate link and things like that. So that's why um, with contracts, you want to think about these things and you want to include that in your agreement. Make yeah. sense? No, definitely. I can see where that can get hairy, though, you know? <laughs> yes, yes, it, it definitely does. But that's why, um, you know, you do want to put that provision in there as a buyer, right? Mm -hmm. Because you don't want to be later on liable to this person that you purchased from uh, these additional funds that you just now, you know, got. Okay, cool. But yeah, but if there if the agreement is silent, then I would definitely not use those funds, and I would get rid of those affiliate rings as quickly as possible. Um, but then I would, you know, I would put that money aside in case that that other person reaches out to you for because it, this is a clear dispute now, right? Well, so. right, but it can it could be completely accidental as well because yes. if you. You know, if you sell a site and they don't change over all the affiliate links, if you have a big business, you might not even notice that you're still getting income yeah. from it, you know, versus, I guess, looking at the actual affiliate tag or whatever that you happen to be using. But, um, no, it's definitely real. And I can see how it can get get hairy uh, if you don't have it actually explicitly uh, mentioned within the website sale agreement. Okay. Right. All right. Wonderful. Okay. Well, good. Well, um, let me ask you this. I guess, uh, what was what's the biggest mistake you're seeing new bloggers make? I mean, outside of just obviously not getting proper legal protection, what's like the biggest mistake they have, that they're making to not protect themselves? Are you talking like uh, legally? Okay, it's not protecting themselves. I mean, I think we talked about a lot of those things. We talked about like not having a you know just basically no legal pages on their site, like privacy policy, disclaimer, terms and conditions. The second one that I'm seeing now is obviously the ADA compliance issues, right? So bloggers are right, struggling right. with that. Some of them are not even doing anything, some are. So that's another big uh, mistake. And then the third one is definitely not uh, using the affiliate links correctly. And we touched upon a lot of those. So I'm glad that you asked those questions because that's something I yeah. see people making mistakes and not just with affiliate links, with even sponsorships, right? Like when somebody pays you to post on Instagram, somebody post, uh, pays you to write a blog post. Now that's considered sponsorship, right? So you need to, just like affiliate links, you need to give those disclosures for sponsorships too. So I see people kind of making a mistake and just publishing stuff on uh, you know, Instagram and, and there've been influencers and people that have actually gotten in trouble uh, for doing this. So 
you definitely want to be careful with that kind of stuff too, to follow those legal guidelines out there to uh, make sure that you're in compliance. And other than that, I mean, I think those are the, those are the big ones. And then our last one is contracts. Like Mm -hmm. we talked about that too. You actually touched on everything, Chris. So (laughs) the last one is contracts. Like, cause you know, as bloggers, whenever you start making a little bit of money, you want to hire your first virtual assistant. You want to hire your first writer. Right. So, um, and I've been there cause I did all of that myself. So you just want to protect yourself. And like we talked about the intellectual property, the ownership part of it, you want to have an agreement. So this, way the other person can't come after you later on claiming money from a blog post that they wrote for you years ago um and you if you're accepting guest posts on your site you want to mm. do the same thing yeah i'm oh, sorry go ahead guest post is another thing right so mm-hmm. there, there's a third person providing content and you need protection for that before you just go ahead and publish it on your site so you need a guest blogger agreement or terms on your site that you can have them electronically accept that's what I do. I have my guest bloggers always just electronically accept my agreement before I even entertain their pitch. So that's something that you want to also start thinking about. Yeah. Um, I like the point you mentioned with the sponsorship stuff, because I remember when I first started posting on like YouTube and everything, it was the Wild West. They didn't really care what yeah. you put out there. And uh, nowadays, if you mention anything, you know, that's going to monetize that video outside of just their normal YouTube partner program ads, you know, there's a big checkbox. Is this a sponsored thing? And when you start playing it, it shows up on the front of the video. This is a sponsored video and everything just to remain in compliance. But it's not as easy with a blog because everything's open. It's up to you to create whatever needs to be there in order to protect yourself legally. And um, this has been, you know, some great information so far. Uh, Is there anything that we didn't touch on that maybe you want to make sure that, you know, new bloggers out there want to know or even current bloggers? No, I think we covered everything. And just to go back with sponsorships, you if you're if it's a blog post, Chris, then you can always uh, give that disclosure in the blog post. And whenever a brand is going to work with you, they'll even give you the language. They'll actually because they are once again under the scrutiny of Federal Trade Commission. So yeah. if they're going to collaborate with you, they're going to make it very clear to you that hey, if you're gonna we're paying you to write this content, then make sure that you give this disclaimer or disclosure in your blog post. So you want to be able to do that. You want to do that too in your blog post there's a language something like this is a sponsored post i was paid for this but these are my own point views and opinions and i have written a sponsorship post too actually a couple of them so i remember i had to uh, do that myself too so these are things you want to keep in mind when you're doing sponsorships and you want to use an agreement with the brand too if they don't have their own right right okay yeah man that's such a lot to (laughs) unpack in this episode um if i had Okay, so if I had my own, like, let's just say I went and got your uh, legal contracts and everything, but then when I did a sponsor post, they have their own legal contract. Am I just supposed to decide which one to use, or do we need to create a whole new one just for me and them? Or I guess what, what would be the best way to approach that? Yeah, another great question. So this actually happened with one of my customers. Uh, so she purchased my legal bundle, premium legal bundle, and in there you get a sponsorship agreement. So she had she had that, and then she was collaborating with the brand to create some videos for YouTube. And they didn't have a lot of those uh, things in there. Like their contract obviously will be protecting them, right? Their interest, of course, not exactly. your interest. 
And you, the one that you're going to purchase from me obviously will protect your interest versus the brand. So there's always this balancing act, right? You don't want to be so rigid to turn off the brand, but you want to be at least open to negotiating, right? So yeah. that you're not, you're getting a fair deal. So what she did is I remember she set up a call with me because she wanted me to review the contract and propose some changes to them. But then at the same time, not propose like, like, the, like a lot of changes, but just some important provisions, such as like, how long are we going to put this on or, or what the fee structure would look like and things like that. And so we worked together, but you don't have to work with me. You can obviously, once you have my template, you can see that, hey, this particular paragraph is missing in the brand's contract. Maybe I want to propose this to them and somehow meet in the middle. Right. Mm -hmm. So you can always negotiate with them, especially right. if they're interested in working with you. If there's something that rubs you the wrong way and you're like, well, I think this is not in my best interest. I want to propose a different language or I want to take something from Amira's template and kind of go, you know, see what they have to say. And you'll be surprised, you know, um, they accepted her terms and she ended up still collaborating with them. But nice. at least she got a fair deal out of it. Right. Instead of just have just basically conceding to their terms and not negotiating. So you always want to be open to negotiating. Yeah. So, you know, that's a very important part that you mentioned there, just so that we can kind of wrap this up. But sometimes as, you know, newer business owners and we start working with other businesses, we can get a little awestruck. We're just happy that someone's <laughs> willing to work with us. So we'll be willing to take whatever it is that they throw at us. So you're saying you need to be a little more judicious with saying, OK, if you don't feel comfortable with something, it's OK to bring it up during negotiations because the other business is used to negotiating, most likely if they're a bigger business and not be too worried about them. OK, I'm pulling out and disappearing because if that's the case, that might be a little cause for a pause itself before moving on with the business. Would, would you agree with that sentiment? Oh, absolutely. hundred percent. Like, don't be afraid to negotiate for yourself, right? You should all, you are a business owner at the end of the day. Yeah. And like you said, Chris, that these companies, you're not the only one that they're working with, right? So they're used to working with bigger and uh, bloggers, smaller bloggers, and they kind of expect this, but if you don't, uh, if you don't ask, how would you know? Right. Yeah, so exactly. it's, it's the way is that the trick is that you don't want to come across like too rigid and too stuck up, stuck in your way so that they turn off the brand, but you want somewhere meet in the middle right so you'll be want you want to be reasonable and i think as long as you're being reasonable and you're taking one or two clauses from my template and you're proposing something to them that wasn't in their contract as long as it protects you and and it's to some degree them and it's you are reasonable your demand is reasonable then i don't see that to be an issue mm -hmm. and as i mentioned in my example that's exactly what one of my customers and she's a very successful blogger that's exactly what she did she just took some of the provisions from my contract and and she ended up Mm -hmm. working for them so yeah so there's definitely don't be i guess don't be afraid to uh you know ask for what you're worth gotcha no that makes that makes plenty of sense and uh thank you for all of that Th this has been one uh impactful episode i think because the legality side of things we usually you know it becomes an afterthought but i think just with us talking so far this has been you know, kind of eye-opening on a few of the things that we need to worry about as business owners. So I think that this is, is really awesome. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. No, thank you so much for having me, Chris. It's been, it's been a pleasure. Awesome. Awesome. So where can people find you and find your templates and all of that fun stuff? Okay, great. So the easiest way to reach me is in my Facebook group. It's called A Self Group Biz Blog Community. Uh, that's the best way to reach me. And then the second one is obviously my website, um, aselfguru.com. If you visit the legal store page, 
you can check out the different legal bundles. Some of them we talked about in here and some of the, there's some more templates in there. And I know like starting a business, whether it's blogging or any kind is really hard because I've done it. But honestly, um, starting protecting it legally is even harder, especially when you have to hire a lawyer and spend thousands of dollars, which we did as a family before I became a lawyer. Yeah. So that's why I created these easy, affordable templates so that they won't suck up your time and you won't have to spend thousands of dollars. So definitely take a look at them uh, in the legal store. And if you have any questions, I'm more than happy to help. All right. That's, a, that's amazing. I'll be sure to put that down in the show notes as well if you want to check that out. All right, great. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast, Amira, and uh, we'll catch you later. All right. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Have you been struggling to make money with your blog? Or maybe you'd like to learn how to build a niche blog and start generating a passive income, but don't know how to go about it. Well, don't worry, I got you covered. Introducing Blog Builder Pro. Blog Builder Pro is a comprehensive online course designed to take you from a complete beginner to having a website up and running that is making you money. Blog Builder Pro also helps take the guesswork out of monetizing your blog by teaching you an easy step-by-step -step process that I call the Nifty 50 Course Steps. These steps will tell you what to do and when to do it so that you are never lost. One of the biggest frustrations that newer bloggers have is that they do not know if the work they are putting in on their sites will yield them some result. But thanks to the more than 60 professionally produced lessons, special worksheets, easy blog and email templates, exclusive webinar discounts, one-on-one -on -one training, and a community that can help you answer questions 24-7, Blog Builder Pro is rocking the industry with this groundbreaking and comprehensive training, holding your hand from start to finish. So go to bloggerevolution.com income and check out the free webinar for some more information. That is bloggerevolution.com income.